what a pri- whoa, what a privilege to be here today. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to John chapter 8? John chapter 8. Verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And I I have loved this worship and prayer time, but I do want to pray again. Lord, this morning is not about theology it is about identity and I just pray for ISAF for every one of our eyes and I include my own to see what the plan was to see how you set people free so that we can set people free as well. Free us, God, so that we can free others. Speak to the deepest places of our hearts tonight, today, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most familiar texts in church is you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and we use that in every way in any area in finances and in raising your kids and whatever you find the truth and the truth will set you free and so we're we're getting out lies and we're getting truth in and and so we 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 use this verse in a wide range of ways but in its context It's actually talking about one, there's one truth that will set you free. If you get this truth, it will set you free. And if you don't get this truth, all of the other truths that you might learn and all the other commands you might be following are not going to help you. There's one truth that sets you free. So Jesus is speaking and the Pharisees say, what do you mean set us free? We're not, we, we, we are free. And he says, whoever sins is the slave to sin. And he says this, and the slave does not have a permanent place in the house, but the son does. So whoever the son sets free will be free indeed. Here's why the slave doesn't have a permanent place in the house. A slave is there for his performance. He's got stuff he needs to do for the house. That's why he's in the house. And he doesn't have a permanent place because as soon as he can't do what he's supposed to do, he's out of the house. And we get another slave to do that job because he's there for his performance. So his 
his place in the house is always insecure. He always has to perform to keep his spot. He always has to prove himself to keep his spot. But Jesus says the son has a permanent place in the house. So whoever the son sets free will be free indeed. The way that Jesus sets us free is by adopting us and making us the sons, the favored sons and daughters of God. This is how we get free. Romans chapter 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children, heirs. I'm not talking about your theology right now. I'm not talking about how you get saved. I'm talking about what you actually are living out of. And whenever we're living out of the performance identity, it is fear-driven, it is guilt-driven, and it is shame-driven. And it, all, it doesn't produce good fruit. Now, it's funny because in church... When you, when you get under that thing and worse, because you can be under it in your own identity as a pastor, but not preach out of it. So sometimes, oftentimes, pastors can recognize what I am living is not the abundant life. So I'm going to preach something different than what I'm actually living. But when you preach out of this identity, it's a disaster. When you, when, then you build a performance-based environment. The whole thing is based on fear, shame, and guilt. And you actually empower darkness in your church. And it's hard to see it because you get a lot done when you empower this environment of a performance. Jesus sets us free by adopting us and making us his favored sons and daughters that are no longer slaves to fear. They are no longer performing for acceptance. They are living out of acceptance, out of favor, out of inheritance. I have entitled today, uh, Living as Favored Sons and Daughters. Daughters. That's the title. All right, here's point two. The danger of obedience. Well, if there's any statement that's ever sounded like heresy, it's that one. The danger of obedience. Usually it's the blessing of obedience, isn't it? I want to talk about the danger of obedience. This is Luke 17, verse 5. The disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. And he says... He says, all you need is faith as a mustard seed and you'll be able to speak to this mulberry tree, upplant it, and put it into the sea. And then he gives this story that seems absolutely unrelated that, is, it, that actually explains 
how the kingdom of God works. He says if a slave goes out into the field and he works all day long and he comes in, you don't say to the slave, now you come on and you sit down and, and no, you say, I'm going to sit down and the slave's going to make you dinner and after he's made you dinner, you're not even going to thank him. After he's done everything that he has been commanded to do, he says this, I am an unworthy servant. I've only done what was commanded of me. And then he looks at his disciples with fire in his eyes. And he says this, So you, after you have done everything you have been commanded to do, say this, Say this to yourself. Say this out loud. I am an unworthy, I am an undeserving servant. I have only done what was commanded of me. What's, what's going on in this text? He's, he's saying this. As long as you are operating in faith, there is going to be a flow, there is going to be an inheritance, there is going to be a lightness to everything you do. But as soon as you get into thinking that your obedience has entitled you to something or earned you something, you're going to get into the wrong system. And you need to remember, you are not blessed and you are not favored because you are obedient. You are blessed and you are favored because you are sons and daughters. And it's going to be very tempting, especially when obedience has been hard and you've done a lot, for you to get a little chip on your shoulder called entitlement. When I was little, we, uh, we got allowances as kids. And we had some responsibilities that we needed to accomplish. And uh, I, I was in charge of trash. I was in charge of the trash area. And so during the week, I'd take the trash out to, from, the, from the house to the trash area. And then at the end of the week, I'd take it from the trash area out to the curb. And then you take it to the curb back. And for all of my work, I got one quarter a week. And here was the process. It was Sunday afternoon. It was payday. Quarter doesn't sound like much now, but back then it was a lot to me. And uh, my little brother and I would, it would be time to get our allowance, and Dad would say, let's, let's take a look at the trash area. And we would go out, and he would stand in front of that trash area. And uh, there, he always found something wrong. Uh, what's that wrapper over there? We just run over there, grab that wrapper, get it back in there. That's not quite straight. <gasps> we get that just right. And after Dad had analyzed everything thoroughly and made corrections, he reached into his pocket, and you could almost hear the squeaking as that quarter came out of his pocket, and you just would think it was his last quarter. And it never, ever, ever occurred to my brother or I that that was a gift from dad. That was, not, that was our allowance. We, got, we worked for that. That was payment for our work. But at Christmas, something very different happened at Christmas. We'd come down Christmas morning. There would be presents. It would, there was like a sea of presents. My mom and dad just went insane at Christmas. 
And we, we would line up the presents that were ours, and we were so excited, and there was never, ever, ever a thought in our mind that this was somehow a reward for being good. It's Christmas. This is because mom and dad love us. We're their, we're their children. One is the allowance system, and one is the gift system. The allowance system is always going to restrict parents, no matter how wealthy they are, to the performance of their children. They're teaching them responsibility. You pay them for work, and so their hands are tied. It's, they're limited to what they can give, to the work that is done. You get paid for that work. You don't get paid extra. That whole, the whole idea is to teach responsibility. The work reward mindset. Responsibility. But at Christmas, they're giving gifts. And gifts are an amazing thing because the only limit on a gift is the resources of the one giving it. If, you're, if your mom and dad are, are Bill and Melinda Gates, they can give you an island for Christmas. I, you know, I decided to give you New Mexico. Because the only limit, it has nothing to do with how good you are or how much you've done. The only limit is their resource. And so God changes covenants from the work for reward, obey and be blessed, covenant that limited him, always was limiting him. He switched systems to the gift system. He made us favored sons and daughters so that there is no limit to what he can pour out. Here's the problem. A lot of times we're like the older brother. We genuinely are sons. We are genuinely in the family. But we are living in our identity out of a performance identity. And so the older brother says, I have worked for you all of my days. I've kept every command that you have given me and you haven't Given me one young goat for me and my friends. Do, do, is there a little, do you see the chip on his shoulder? Do you see that he's feeling a little used? A little taken advantage of? He's worked very hard. He's been very careful to obey everything. And he feels he's owed for all of his sacrifice and all of his obedience. Now, I want you to notice something about the father. Did you notice that the father doesn't say, hey, remember that one time when I got you this? And remember that one party that I threw? And No, no, this is all true. He's had nothing. He's received nothing. The father says this. Son. Notice that he didn't say slave. Son. My son. Everything I have is yours. Mark this down, guys. You cannot earn as a reward that which is yours by inheritance. 
I'm reading from Galatians chapter 4. Verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Okay, now so Paul's talking to the Galatians, and it's all about identity. It's all about what they're actually walking in, in their identity, because they're, they're, they're losing it. And he says, you, like Isaac, are born of a promise. And he, he, he's comparing the two covenants with two women. Hagar produces the natural son in the natural way. That's Ishmael. And she represents what the old covenant was, the whole old covenant was based on, and it produced servants that either obeyed and got blessed, or they disobeyed and got cursed. And that's the natural, that is what comes natural to us, is performance. That makes sense to us. And this produces Ishmael. The performance identity, it produces Ishmael. And you, like Isaac have been born of a promise. Your name is Isaac. Isaac means laughter. The center of Christianity is joy. Your name is it's It's in your identity. Your name is joy. Why? Because here's what God did with Sarah. <laughs> he just made a promise. It wasn't based on her being able to have kids. It wasn't based on Abraham being able to have kids. It wasn't based on anybody. It was just based on God made a promise, and that promise created this son. And everybody that heard it was going to laugh. And that happened in history, but it was, it was a picture. The bigger picture is this. Is that God made a plan for the human race, and it was going to have nothing to do with how good people were. That God was going to, and, and if, you, if you understand the gospel, there's a reason why David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. When you understand the gospel, it is funny. We've been around church too long if we don't realize how funny the gospel is. It's hilarious. That God said, I'm going to take sinners who have rebelled against me, who have killed me, who deserve wrath, who deserve judgment, and I am going to die for them. I am going to forgive all of their sins. I'm going to adopt them as my sons and daughters. And I'm going to give them, for all of their rebellion and sin, I'm going to give them all of heaven. I'm going to make them heirs of heaven. I'm going to give them everything I have. I'm going to share with them. And it's all going to be based on just them believing a promise. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and, and here's what he says, if they'll believe that. If they'll believe that, that's what they get. But it's going to be really hard for them to believe it. And if they go back to the performance identity, if they live out of the, here's what God has ordained, guys. He's ordained this. 
the bond, the, the son born the natural will inherit nothing. Put away the bondwoman and her son. Put them away. They will inherit nothing. So here you are. You're a good person. You're a good Christian. You're a good pastor. You love Jesus, but you're operating out of the wrong identity, and you will get nothing from God. And the harder you work at getting close to God, the farther away he'll feel. Because you're, you're in the wrong covenant. You didn't mean to be. The Galatians certainly didn't mean to be. They started good. You foolish Galatians. Galatians 3.1. Who has bewitched you? You started off good. You started off in the Spirit. He said, he said Galatians. He's looking at them. Let me ask you a question. Does the one who do, does miracles among you, the one that surprises you, the one that touches you and heals and does amazing, does he do that because of the hearing of faith or because of you keeping the law? He says, are you going to now perfect in the spirit, in the flesh, what was begun in the spirit? You foolish Galatians. Because it is the most natural thing in the whole world for us to be saved and go back into the performance identity. And we know we're saved by grace. We've got good theology, but we're living as if it's by works. We're living with the engine of fear, guilt, and shame. That's our, en that's our actual identity engine. Even though we've got the right theology up here, we could fight that theology with the best of them. But what we're actually living out of when it is that wrong identity, which is so easy to do, it's absolutely tragic because you inherit nothing over there. Pastor Tom, how do you know whether you're in the wrong identity? I'll tell you how. Joy. Always look for joy, guys. There is a lightness when you're walking in the identity of favored son and favored daughter, where Jesus is the hero. You're not. You don't have to be that great because he's really good. And you're hosting him. And he's with you and his favor's on you. We call the ease of heaven. It's just flowing. It's like a river flowing. And there is a joy there. That, do not underestimate joy. Joy is what marks Christianity apart from every other religion. Every religion has rules. Every religion has buildings. Every religion has a sense of peace. You're always going to have peace if, if you've got how everybody's supposed to live and what you're supposed to do. That's going to give you more peace than if you don't have that. But joy is the mark of the presence of God. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's very easy to have the right theology and the wrong identity. All right, point three is the favor of God's discipline. Here's the other problem with the performance identity is when you are under the discipline of the Lord, you interpret it as rejection. Hebrews chapter 12, 5 and 6, verse 13. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Verse 13. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The reason why we have the formula, if you obey, you are blessed, is because when you are living as a favored son and a favored daughter, 
and you are obeying, blessing flows. Blessing just flows. And it's very easy to associate my obedience with his blessing because it flows. But be careful. He's not blessing you because you're obedient. He's blessing you because you're a favored son, a favored daughter, and that's what the New Testament is, is he, is he blesses you. He wants you to be in that place. He wants to release it. But it's not because, he, he's not blessing you because you're obedient. He's blessing you because he loves you, and he's given all of that freely in Christ. But it feels like it's when I'm obedient, it, it flows. Yeah, there, there is, you don't, you shouldn't obey because you're trying to get blessed. You should obey because you love him. And out of that relationship, you love him. And there is a flow there. So what happens when you disobey as a favored son and daughter, you still have the favor of God on you. It's called the discipline of the Lord. It's the favor of his discipline. And it feels like Rejection. If you're in the performance identity, it feels like God has abandoned you. It feels like he's rejected you. It feels like I did something so that I am out now. And he, the author of Hebrews says, don't misinterpret discipline. Discipline is not that God's favor is no longer on you. It is a sign of his favor. He, it's a sign of his acceptance. It's a sign that he, he wants you in. And then he gives, in verse 13, the tremendous vulnerability, the danger of what can happen in discipline. He says, all hardship is discipline. Anything hard going on in your life makes you vulnerable to this. That the very discipline that was given to heal you can end up disabling you. The very thing that God allowed in your life, here's part of the problem. We don't think we need healing. We think that God's agenda for us should be to keep us comfortable. Because we're, we're pretty good people. And God's like, I like you. And you're a delight to me. But what I've got planned for you is going to require you becoming a better person than you are right now. And I know you can't see that, but I'm bringing hardship in, not as a sign of rejection, but to bring healing. But if you misinterpret it, and you do, if, you, if you're living in the performance identity, you'll misinterpret it, and it will disable you. <clears throat> now this is really bad if you're a pastor. We, uh, we came to Madison from Montevideo, and it was a long process, two-year process of of somebody there wanting us to come and calling us to come and prophetic this, prophetic that. And, and finally, we take the leap to Madison. And, and we're, we are now, because God is so in this, we, this is going to be the promised land. This is just going to be awesome. And we get to Madison, and it's a disaster. We get to disaster, and the person that called us to come there felt like maybe he was supposed to stay. And so suspicion and accusation fills the church, and, and it's split, and I'm hating even being there. But on top of this, our house hasn't sold in, in, back in Montevideo, and so, so I've got this financial weight, and of course, when you haven't sold your house, you can't buy a house, and so we're, 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 we're getting by, we're living with my brother, we're, we're, and then finally God does what we have been asking him to do for over a year. He sells the house. 
and we get the full price. Just, just exactly how everybody prayed. Full price. Uh, this is going to be great. This is, it's, it's a new time. It's a new day. Um, the bank checks everything out. Everything's good. We get the closing date set, and it's a week away. I'm on a prayer retreat. I get a call from our realtor. The whole thing has fallen through. Turns out the guy lied. They lie. He lied to the bank, and lie, 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 and, and I hang up the phone. Of course, it's not the realtor's fault. And I'm just mad. I'm just really mad at God. I tell him so. God, uh, uh, you knew this was going to fall through. You, you, how could you possibly let it go this far? I had told people the house had sold. We have a miracle. God's, God is good. Isn't God good? God has done a miracle. And, and I'm like, God, you, you knew before this thing even started that this was going to fall through. How could you possibly let it go this far? How could you do it? And I said, now, God, you, you're God, and so I know you're always right. Has anybody found that frustrating? He's always, he's always right. It's just really irritating sometimes. I know you're right. I know you're good, but I want you to know something. And this is just between me and you, but I'm going to tell you something. And this is, this is from my heart. What you have allowed to happen to me, I just want you to know this. I would never, ever allow this to happen to my children. I know, you're, I know you love me, but this does not feel like love. I would never let what happened to me, happened to one of my children. I just want you to know that. And so what happened is, and here's the problem, of course, with pastoring. You still have to get up and preach next Sunday. It doesn't matter how things are going in your personal life. It doesn't matter what's going on with you. You got to get up and you got to be encouraging to everybody else. And to, so, you know, you just go on. You go on with ministry. But I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, there was a disconnect. I was on the disabled list. I wasn't in the game anymore. I wasn't fully in the game. I was still saved, but my heart was not fully engaged because I didn't know if I could fully trust God anymore. How many know that's a really bad place to be when you're a pastor and you've got to tell other people to trust God? Really bad place. I was just in a bad place. And it was actually at our national convention. Mark Bratchard was speaking. And he was speaking from the book of Job. And he said these words. He said, do you know why sometimes God allows things to happen to his children that you would never allow to happen to your children? <gasps> Tell me, Mark. <laughs> Tell me. I've, this, is, this is the question. This is the very question I have asked in the secrecy of my heart before God. And he said, because God has the power of resurrection. God has the power of resurrection. You don't. You would never let things get too bad with your kids. Because you don't have the power to resurrect any situation, any time, in any way, and make it good. And my heart reengaged. 
Here's the frustrating thing about God. If you get disabled by his discipline, he will honor your choice. And he will leave you on the sidelines. He'll leave you there for 10 years. There are all kinds of Christians that come to church, that read their Bible, that are disabled. They are not engaging fully with God. They are still on the sidelines. They are not engaging in the flow of the Holy Spirit or the moving of God or the goodness of God or even the worship of God. They're just going through the motions. They're on the disabled list. They used to be in the game. At one time they were in the game. Sometimes it was only the first few weeks of their Christianity they were actually in the game. And now they're on the sidelines watching. Still paying their tithes, still doing their duty, but they're not engaged anymore because something happened and they got disabled. And what Jesus is saying to us is our hearts are interesting things, aren't they? They're very fragile. And you can mask what's actually going on in your life by activity. How many know you can do it by ministry? You can do all kinds of, actually, sometimes you can do more ministry when your heart is disconnected. Because it's a good way to hide. It's probably the number one way men hide is work. And pastor's ministry. And so Jesus comes, gentle Jesus comes. The smoldering wick, he doesn't put out. The bruised reed, he doesn't break. But he comes so gently, and you say, nope, I'm going to stay on the sideline. Okay, okay. And then another month goes by, and he comes again, and he's, he's breathing, and, and, and you start feeling yourself soften and become vulnerable. Nope, don't want to go there. I'm going back into self-protection. The kingdom of God can never advance when we're in self-protection, guys. Jesus wants our hearts. He wants us to trust him again. <coughs> All right, I want to end with this. We're going to pray. The new wineskin is the favored sons and daughters of God. In the old wineskin, which was the servant wineskin where... The old covenant could only produce servants that either... God couldn't put much wine in that wineskin. It was a few old men. It was the king and the prophet and the priest. And even then, the spirit couldn't stay on them. It would only be on them a little while because otherwise the whole thing would burst. And sometimes it did. In fact, it's all over the Old Testament. The wineskin is bursting. And God says in Joel, and of course it's quoted in Acts 2, God says about his own heart, there's a day coming... I'm changing the wineskin. There's a day coming where I am not going to be limited by human beings' performance. There's a day coming where I'm going to pour out everything I want to pour out. And it's not just going to be a few old men. It's going to be your sons and your daughters. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. There's going to be no limitation of what I can pour out because this is no longer going to be about people being good. It's going to be about divine resource. I have made a new covenant that is going to produce favored sons and daughters and all of heaven is going to belong to them if they would just believe it. If they would just believe it. And so guys, the plan is weak 
broken people. That's the plan. God can do miracles through you. Why? It, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with his resources. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can cleanse the leper. He can save the lost. There's, n- there's, no, there's nothing that he cannot do through you and me. If we can stay in this, and you know what? Even that, we're not going to stay in it all the time. We're going to learn how to live as favored sons and daughters. We're going to learn how to get this into our identity. We're going to learn how to walk. We, we get little glimpses of it now and then. We'll get a little glimpse of what it is to walk in this and, and have divine glory flow. But I believe in, the, in these days, we're going to get this into our identity. We're going to live as favored sons and daughters more and more. And guess what? We're going to create a culture of favored sons and daughters. We're going to empower this environment. We're going to empower. And Jesus is going to be able to do whatever he wants to do. Because he's no longer limited. Could we stand together? I have two groups that I want to pray for. And then I, I'll turn it back over to Pastor and he can, we can close however he wants to. But here are the two groups I want to pray for. If over the course of this morning you realize that somewhere along the line you have been disabled in your heart to fully engage something has happened maybe that was confusing something was difficult something was impossible maybe that thing is still in your life and it has caused you to step back from intimacy with Jesus would you just open your arms right now I just want to pray for you Jesus wasn't trying to ever, ever even thinking about getting rid of you or rejecting you. You are his delight. You're the one he died for. So Lord, would you just gently breathe on the smoking wicks and bring us back to a fire of intimacy with you. Lord, would you put your strong arms around our bruised hearts and bind up the brokenhearted. Lord, there's no human being that can bind up the brokenhearted, but you have been anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. You are the master surgeon that can open us up when we have no idea how to fix ourselves. All we know is something's wrong. Something's wrong. I know it's wrong because... The joy is gone. The miracles are gone. I'm discouraged. I'm heavy. I know something's wrong, but I can't make it right. You don't have to make it right. You just need to own that something's wrong. Something's not right. And just say, Jesus, come on, Lord. I'm back in. I'm back in. He's, he's, got, he's laughing as you come back into the game. Come on in. I'm bringing my healing, my gentle intimacy. I love you. I'm not harsh. I'm not mean. I'm not any of the things you believed. I am the lover of your soul. And everything that's happened has been meant for your healing. All right, and the second one is uh, you just want 
You just want this favored son, favored daughter identity. You just want a God to sow this thing and bury it deep in your heart. Would you just open your arms before the Lord? Lord, when you said that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, it is a reference to the earlier parables where the treasure is the Word of God. It is the seed of the Word of God. And, and when a man sees that it is the Word of God, if he doesn't see it's the Word of God, it can be taken from him because he doesn't realize what he has. But when he sees what it is, it says that the first thing that guy did is he buried it again to protect it. The first thing he thought about when he saw that treasure is, if I'm going to have this, I need to protect it. And he buried it again. God, would you seal this word of favored son, favored daughter? Would you bury it deep into our identities, we pray, God? God, wherever we have operated in fear, guilt, and shame, and we all have, please forgive us. Worse, God, where we have even brought a culture of fear, guilt, and shame into our people and try to run church by performance. Forgive us, Jesus. Wash us, Jesus. And wash your people. Wash all of our errors, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you. You could just pour grace out over all of our people, God. Get rid of this culture, God, that cannot, cannot inherit anything. And then, Lord, it says that he went and for joy sold everything he had and reordered his life around this word, this salvation, this identity. And I, I just pray for your, your people, your students and your pastors here. I pray for the joy. I pray for the joy, not of being a pastor, not of being in ministry, not because we had... We had 200 in church last week, and that's better than we had. Not, not, God, get rid of all of that stuff. That's, that's not joy. That's assignment. Joy is that you love us, and that we are your delight, and that you have adopted us. We are in, and we will never be more in than we are right now. We have been given a permanent place in the house. <laughs> Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of my days and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Would you restore the joy of your people? Would you restore the laugh of your people, God? Lord, you know every difficult, mean thing that's going on in every church here. You know every gossip. You know every accusation. You know every weight. You know every financial problem. God, we just, we're just, we're downloading all of that off of us onto you. you. The government's on your shoulders, not ours. Would you restore the ease of heaven to our hearts, God? We love you and we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name.